0: Welcome to the MomCube podcast, where we provide you with the godly intelligence and biblical resources to find peace, hope, and joy on your motherhood journey. I'm Candace Nasser, the founder of MomCube, a community of moms building healthy families. I hope you will be inspired and encouraged as we talk to moms of all ages about how God is using their unique gifts and calling to build His kingdom.
1: So, uh, it was so sweet talking about my daughter. I texted her last night, and I just, I asked, I said, I'm speaking tomorrow, can you pray for me, please? And just like two minutes before I came up, she sent me just the scripture, and it says this, at that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Um, do not worry about what to say or how to say it, and I just think that was—I think that was so sweet of her to do that for me because um, sometimes I annoy her. So that was nice. <laughs> I want to start off with a true story that's you might chuckle at, but then you also might go, Oh, So my husband Kevin was at a hairdresser a couple weeks ago, and the hairdresser said to him. Did you know that the going trend now is to have three marriages? The first one you marry for puppy love, and you and you, you know ride that out till that goes away, and then you divorce, and then, then you get married for money, and you milk it for all it's worth, and then you wait till you're going to have something to leave on and you divorce. But then the third marriage, you finally marry for companionship. She said this in all seriousness, and she had done it, this herself. Um, But God has a lot to say about that last one, companionship. So the question for today's lesson is how do I relate to my husband? The answer I'm going to give you right now up front, and the answer to that question and the main idea of this lesson, I can't remember if I made this a slide, Sorry, wrong way. I relate to my husband as his partner and complimentary companion. Oh yeah, those are your blanks, complementary companion. So start with me, if you will, at the beginning of Genesis to see how the concept of complimentary companion came about. Oh, y'all just had your uh, phones out to download the Bible app. So if you have them, open to Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to read 1 through 4. Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Key phrase there. And God saw that the light was good. Skip down to verse 10. He created separation of land and sea. And he saw that it was good. Then in verse 12, he created vegetation. And again, he says, and God saw that it was good. We hear the same phrase over and over again as God is creating the world. Now skip to chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a being, a living being. Verse 18, last one, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The Lord said, It is not good. In my mind, I hear that record kind of squeaking to a stop where everything else has been good, then all of a sudden he creates something that's not. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is a noteworthy mention that the, uh, the word man here in its original form is the actual male gender and not just a synonym for mankind. It's like, so God says, "I need a man. He created the Earth. I need someone to take care of this Earth. Man cannot do him by it. man cannot do it by himself. I'll give him a helper." So another thing that's kind of interesting here is that right after I found this really interesting. It's not a huge point, but um, right after God says, "Adam needs a helper." He brings the animals in and has Adam name all of them. So he goes from, you need a helper, to, hey, let's name the animals. So why does he do that? He does it on purpose for Adam to go through every living creature that he had created to get to the end and realize there was no one there for him. Now this is not to say, please know, This is not to say that God designed men superior to women, only that he made women to be a helper suitable for, which literally translated means uh, corresponding to the man. Genesis 2.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What this tells us is that both men and women were created equally because both were made in the image of God. God could have just reached down and grabbed some more dust and formed the woman, but he did not. He created woman from Adam's side um, uh, so that... It would show that they belong together, side by side, in companionship. It helps to know this, if it's kind of hard for you to grasp this, that even though the word helper usually connotes the meaning of, like, servant, God is called our helper all throughout Scripture. It is not a put-down. It, uh, it gives the sense of a rescuer, a deliverer. The way God designed it, man needs a woman, and the woman needs the man. You may have heard the quote, Eve was not taken from Adam's head to rule over him, nor from his feet that he should put her down, but from his side so that he would protect her and keep her close to his heart. Both are equal, but had different roles to fill. That is the concept called complementarianism. And I am super proud of myself that I know this word now and I can say it, so I just thought I'd let, let you in on it. It's a concept called complementarianism, which is teaching based on God's word that says, while men and women were created equally valuable, equally capable, equally competent, God ordained different roles for the man and wife so that they complement each other. So here we are in the story of creation. The earth has been created and everything in it. Man and woman have been created and they have perfect fellowship and communion with each other and with God. And then they listened to the enemy. They disobeyed God and introduced sin into the world that still affects us today. The consequences for that sin for the woman would be, one, pain in childbirth, which most of us can attest to. And two, and this is the, wor- the one we're gonna focus on today. We as women will desire to control our husbands. That is verse, that is chapter three, verse 16. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So how does, okay, uh, right off the bat, you can step back and see that our desire to control our husbands, to manipulate them, to do things the way we want them to do it, to think we're better than them, or maybe that we don't even need them. Sometimes, that is a consequence of sin. It is not good. This is our problem. We are not supposed to live this way. Our curse, if you will, is that we will always want to. It is our job as Christ followers... To seek out the way God does want us to live and to fight against our sin nature with his help every day. So, I'll get to the point, how does God want us to relate to our husbands? Well, there are a couple things in scripture that God says specifically to wives. Look with me, if you will, those of you who want to follow along, to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'll read verses 21 through 24. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. God lays out in that scripture what he has determined to be good. And that is Christ, the head of man, and husbands, the head of the wife, making sure to say... That husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, us. Now verse 21, which says we should submit to each other, would be a whole lot easier to focus on. But, and it's true, we must both have that attitude of humility with each other. But today we're going to focus on what God's word says specifically to wives. And in verse 20, and the first one in verse 22 could not be more clear. As a wife, I am called to submit to my husband. That's a big statement and bear with me a little bit after I say that. Okay? So, a little aside, a peek into my personality that's hard. I, I don't really love that, but um, I question everything. I mean, it's really annoying. Uh, if somebody tells me that I need to behave in a certain way, I want to know why. I mean, like, you talk about bandwagons, I don't even get on them. I'm doing the opposite. <laughs> you know, I, um, not, and it's not disrespectful. I'm not asking in disrespect. I'm asking because I want to know clearly. How it is that Jesus wants me to live? Um, Let's see. So, to say, I'm supposed to submit. Tell me why, and give me proof. There are three very important things that we need to know here. I'll tell you. I'll kind of take you through how I question and answer things in my own head. The first, the Bible says I need to submit. Well, what do I know about the Bible? It is true. It is through much study and consideration and many prophecies come true, been proven to be the true word of God. It is a firm foundation under our feet it is a rock that we can stand on the second thing I know based on reading the truth in God's word and through my life experiences and life experiences of people around me that I know and trust is that God is good God is so good so if he tells me to do something I know that good things will follow if I obey him. So, we really want to dig in here and see how to truly align ourselves with what God says about our role in the marriage relationship and what that looks like on a day by day basis. The third thing I know is this, and it's a quote by John Maxwell, and it's based on scripture. People do what people see. What they hear, they understand. What they see, they believe. Your children will mimic in their marriages what they see in yours. Your children will mimic in their marriages years from now what they saw in yours. So we want to get this right. I do want to add a little caveat here. God is a redemptive God. And he can turn things that happened bad in the past and bring great things. I pray often the verse that says, Lord, would you restore the years that the locusts have eaten? And what I mean by that is, man, sometimes there were locusts. Our marriage was dry. We were doing the wrong thing. We weren't respecting each other, submitting any of that kind of stuff. Would you restore those years now with my children in my marriage? But we do have to remember we do have consequences. So I'm going to be real here. I know God's plan for marriage. I know it, but my marriage does not always show it. It is something that even 30 years in I work on and pray about on a daily basis. So I want to tell you a story about how it played out in my house the other day. Um, About See, back in May, I had shoulder surgery and it was actually a pretty big surgery where they like cut open here and took my tendons and put them in my shoulder and sewed things up and shaved bone, it was a big surgery. So I came home and I could do nothing. I was so drugged up, and they give you tons of pain medicine, and I'm weak um, that I could do nothing. So my husband had to step in and help me with everything. He literally was feeding me. He was so sweet. He went to Crumble. Is that the cookie company? And every three hours or four hours when it was time for my medicine, he would give me a sliver of a crumble cookie and my medicine because I had to have it with food on my stomach. He would wake up in the night all three, four hours every time with the little cookie and the medicine. But uh, so he did that. He also had to bathe me. I could not get it; my shoulder wet, but I felt gross, so he came in the bathroom, and you know, he was literally bathing me. He also had to help me go to the bathroom. I mean, y'all, it was real here. Uh, so about three days in, after all, you know, all this had been going on, we were sitting on the couch, and I noticed he was staring at me, and I was like, what? And he said, these have been the best three days, and I was like, really? They haven't been that great for me. It's like, why do you say that? And he said, you needed me. And that stopped me right in my tracks. In some way or another, I had given him the signal that I didn't need him or that I was content to do things on my own. And in the process, I had hurt my husband. Sometimes, sometimes, Sometimes we as wives and moms think we have it all covered, don't we? I saw a description of marriage that I loved. Marriage, this is a big sentence, so y'all listen. Marriage is a covenant relationship that God wants to use for his glory to give the world a glimpse of what he is like. Julie and Kevin, your marriage, Kendra, your marriage to Jeff is a covenant relationship that God wants to use for his glory to give the world a glimpse of what he is like. Marriage lived out in the way that it's supposed to is intended to show the relationship of Christ and the church. And unfortunately, as we all very much know, our society and culture has taken what is a God-ordained authoritative order, as Christ is the head of the husband, husband the head of the wife, and they've inverted the roles. The culture of today is weak man, strong woman. Oh, so... I loved this definition. I don't know if y'all know who John Piper is, but this was his. Sorry, you can't see that. <laughs> um, he he says the definition of submission is this: an intelligent. That does not say that, does it? And in hmm, I knew this would mess me up. An intelligent, happy, wise support. For the leadership of your husband. So hear me out here. The biblical concept of submission is not domination. It's not degrading. It's not a superior, inferior thing. It's not men lording over women or even an issue of competency. It does not look like a husband unilaterally making decisions without your input. If you look at Jesus in the church, you see that Jesus gave his life for the church, for us, his people. So yes, a husband should lay down his his life for his wife. But a biblical head of the wife is also, hear me, willing to lay down his wants, his wishes, his desires for the good of the wife. It's a sense of responsibility to lead, to protect, to provide for the wife. Um, I love John Piper's explanation for the man's responsibility as head of the wife. This is a big thing because you may be—this is a big sentence as well— This is the man's responsibility as head of the wife and of the family. That the sense of responsibility will move him to take the initiative with his wife and children to see to it that God's will is done as much as possible by every member of the family. So the first thing we have here is that healthy submission looks like husbands initiating. So practically speaking, this looks like taking the initiative to make family decisions, not making them without you, but initiating the effort to make family decisions. 1 Timothy 3.4 says this, husbands, directly to them, must manage his own family well, And see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. We may be well more capable of leading the family because we're kind of, we know all the little things that are going on. But we want, scripturally speaking, for our husbands to be able to take the initiative, and it's our job to let them know they can to respond and encourage. We respond to them and encourage. Let's see, so at this point, here's the point where you might be saying to yourself, my husband does not lead, or my husband does not want to lead, he just kinda wants to give everything to me, or my husband, tries to lead, but he's terrible at it. Or my husband doesn't have any clue what to lead the family is and what that means. Okay, so a long time ago, like I've been married for 30 years, so maybe like 25 years ago when I had a a little Matthew, um, I was in a Bible study uh, with Denise Glenn, and she was telling a story about how when she and her husband first We're learning the concept of submission. And she gave this illustration, which was so funny. She said, my husband was backed up so far, sorry, I can't do that, can I, "Um, against the wall because he didn't want to do it. He didn't know what it was, and so he left very little space for me just to squeeze in that one inch right behind him. I thought that was a good illustration, and I've never forgotten it. Um, Submission is yielding. It's like two cars on a highway in these two lanes, and one lane is ending. Somebody has to yield. And God has said that we as wives are the ones to yield. Okay. Okay. So it's squeezing into the one inch behind my husband and the wall. There might be only one inch of space because your husband is backing up, not leading, or because you want to have so much control, there's no space left. But nevertheless, squeeze in behind him. This is you saying to your husband, I support you. I will follow your lead as you lead our family." the third slide, why is this important for us to do? Doing things God's way leads to blessing. God does not command what is bad for us. Our obedience and surrender to God's authoritative order will bring peace to your marriage, and it puts you... Under the umbrella of God's provision and protection and then also your husband's. So we've talked about how submission, how supporting your husband's leadership is the first way that God wants you to relate to your husband. And it brings God's best, best blessings on the marriage relationship. The second point I want to make is found in Ephesians 5.33. And it says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. As a wife... The second thing is I am called by God to respect my husband. The the respect we're talking about here is unconditional respect, which seems like an oxymoron because shouldn't our husbands have to earn respect? Well, God says no. I did not respect my husband well. For an unfortunate few too many years at the beginning of our marriage, I did absolutely begin to see that it was affecting all three of my children. I saw behaviors in them that were a result of my disrespect. I will also tell you that um, since they are grown... You know, I told you how they're, they're all old. Um, I have sat them down in high school, maybe a little bit in college, and, and definitely now, and I have sat down with each one of them and apologized and asked for their forgiveness for what they saw, for the disrespect that they sh- saw me show to Kevin. And I also gave them little tips on what they might see. Like, if you see this behavior, this is maybe an effect of it and and things like that, Um, just so that they would be aware. And I also want to mention, this is a total aside, but saying you're sorry and asking for forgiveness breaks the power of that sin. So that is so important to do in your relationships. Hmm. So what is the meaning of the kind of respect a wife should show her husband? It is to place great value and high price on our husbands. To honor and value your husbands. It's to treat them in a way that honors God. I love the visual that Annie gave me um, And I'm not going to say it right, just accept that when we look to our husbands as the leader of the home, we are seeing God behind him. So our obedience, our respect, is a choice we made to uh, give our husbands out of obedience to God. Why is that important? I'm going to give you a good statement here. According to the writer of Love and Respect... Here it is. A man's first and fundamental impulse, that's their first and fundamental impulse, is to serve, to lead, especially in response to being honored and respected for who he is. Two things happen when we respect. When we respect our husbands, they serve. They lead. This is not a manipulation thing. This is in doing this, we are actually cultivating their God-given gifts, what is already inside of them. When done the right way with the right heart behind it, showing our husband's re- husband respect motivates him to be a better person to be the husband that you so desperately want him to be. The second thing that happens when we show respect is it creates trust. Respect creates trust. You're saying when you outwardly show respect to your husband, I trust you. And this lays down so much foundation in your relationship It then ignites courage in your husband, which in turn cultivates his leadership. It's a win-win-win. So I want to remind you of four ways to show your respect. And this is to anyone, if you've been married three months, if you've been married 30 years or 50 years. We all need these reminders. The first one is this. Admire him. Out loud with your words. The amplified version of Ephesians 5.33 says to notice him, to honor him, to regard him, to prefer him, to esteem him, to defer to him, to praise him, and to admire him exceedingly. Tell him you like him and show it. Second, second way to show respect is to be trustworthy. A husband feels respected when he can trust his wife. You know the verse in Proverbs that says the heart of her husband safely trusts her? Our husbands need to know and trust That when we are away, we will act in a manner that pleases him, or that is the same as that we would act when he is with us. Also, we don't hide things. How many of y'all had moms who said, don't tell dad? Did none of y'all have moms that did that? Oh, okay. (laughs) And we're good stewards of the money that we have as a family. The third way to show respect is to seek to understand them and assume the best. There's that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that says, to give them the benefit of the doubt, the, to give them the benefit of doubt, I have to remind myself of this so often. It's so easy. And I'm sure y'all do this, I hope y'all do this too. It's easy to take what they say and formulate a story in your mind about what they really meant. And that is so harmful to the relationship. It's an example of being disrespectful. It's also biblical. God is commanding. He is telling us to assume the best, to give them the benefit of the doubt. That is scriptural. And the fourth thing is, get up and welcome him home if you're the one there first. If not, go straight to him when you get there. And the reason I say this is because, I guess for whatever reason, when I was uh, planning for this uh, speech, um, I got a video on my Instagram, and it was this like skit of a, of a wife just sitting on the couch, going through her phone. Her husband comes in the door. And she goes, hey, how was your day? Oh, really? That's cool, you know. And then they did it again, and it was the husband coming in and the wife standing up and walking over to the husband and giving a hug. And I don't know, it just made it so sad. <laughs> it just made me sad thinking about that husband. That, And I, 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 I probably do that myself, especially because I don't have kids at home. And that, it just, let's welcome them home. Or let's go straight to them when we get there. Along those same lines, I want to remind you of four ways that you can be disrespectful. You can be disrespectful by being discontent. Always wanting more. Expressing dissatisfaction with what you have. Being discontent with who he is. Bringing up things from the past. When we're discontent, we are making our husbands feel like failures because they're not providing enough for us. Contentment is a choice, so is discontent. Be wise in this area. The second way to be disrespectful is disparaging speech, speech and body language. We all know the, you know that kind of thing, or looking away when they're talking to you. Um, eye-rolling. None of y'all do any of that, right? Arguing your point to death, and this is a big one. Arguing your point to death when he has the courage to confront you about something, it's hard. It's hard for them. Second-guessing, frequently second-guessing our husbands. I know that is hard. We have to dig way deep down to do this one because we so often think our ways are better, and they might be but we need to use every ounce of self-control to stop ourselves from speaking these words. The fourth, fourth one I put is never badmouth him to your kids. And I said, needs no explanation, never do it. The, third, the last thing I wanted to say, and this goes for the uh, concept of submission as, as well, but make a respect plan For the submission, spend some time with God and and, and come up with what you think a leader is to you. It's going to be different in every home. And then have a conversation with your husband about what he thinks and how you can bring those two together. Also make a respect plan. Have Have a conversation with your husband and say, how do you feel respected by me? What can I do to make you feel more respected? Because you are. So in trying to answer, as I close, how do I relate to my husband, we discussed two main points that the Lord says specifically to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, and wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. My last point is this, we cannot do this in our own strength. But God is ready and waiting to help. We've all heard the verse, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Submitting to and respecting our husbands does not always come naturally. And it's not always fun. We desperately need Jesus' help to do this. We have an enemy that is hell-bent on destroying Your marriage, your marriage, your marriage, your marriage, your marriage. He'll go to great lengths to cause friction, complacency, division, discouragement, and the list goes on. We know. I found this quote, and while it's a little blunt, I found it to be spot on and true. We can sit in a garage all day long, and we will never become a car. We can want with everything in us to be the wife God calls us to be. But until we surrender our hearts to his will, we will never be able to do this. But the thing is, the great thing is, when we sit with Jesus, we do become more like him. When we are in his word, he will renew Our minds. When we cry out for help to Him in prayer, He will hear and He will help. Through Him, through Him, and following His leadership, this is what will give you a marriage that fulfills us, a marriage that will sustain you. Thanks be to God for His. indescribable gift. I want to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for today. Thank you for every family represented. We love you, Lord. We're here for you, to learn more about you and your plan. Thank you for the sacrifice you made so that we could be free. Thank you for your word, which we know is absolute truth. We can stand firmly on it. Thank you that you are good, and we can trust what you say. Thank you for the instructions in your word that is a help, that brings help and hope to our marriages. As we move into group time, I just ask that you would help us to be honest about where we are on this road and show us where we can better serve and obey you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thank you. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please feel free to share it with others who might be interested. You can also give us feedback in the comments section, and we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about anything you heard today, or would like to suggest topics for us to cover in the future, message us on Instagram and Facebook at momq512. We'll see you back here in just a couple of weeks.